Well, if you are visiting or you haven't been here a while, you picked a good Sunday, I think, to show up. Um, we start a new series. And so we are jumping into something, hey, all right, to something new this week. And so I'd invite you, if you have a Bible, take it out to the book of Titus this morning, Titus chapter 2. And we're beginning a new series called Gospel Community. And my hope is this, that through the series and looking at the scriptures together, we as a local church family may better understand what it is to be part of the people of God gathered together for his purpose and for his glory. I say that again, just so we're all on the same page. My hope is that through this series, we as a local church family may better understand what it is to be the people of God who gather together for his glory and for his purposes. And so we're looking at really the idea of gospel and community. And it's unique, isn't it? It's, it's, it's unique phraseology. It's not just community. It's not just club. It's not just social gathering. But it's gospel and community. And, and I really think that this is a biblical concept. This is not just something like if you Google gospel community, you're going to come across a whole lot of information that's going to say how it's current, it's modern, it's this trend. But, but I believe it's a biblical process. That God intends for his people to do life together for his glory and the good of the world around us. And so earlier we prayed for the devastation taking place in a part of the country that we don't live. Um, if you watch the news, I just watch snippets of it. I mean, it's just mass flooding and different things are happening. Lives are being lost. And so if today you claim to be a follower of Christ, that somehow should kind of work its way into you and it should bother you. Because if you're a follower of Christ, then you believe that life matters, all life matters from birth, okay, from the cradle to the grave, all life matters. You should believe that uh, devastation is not a good thing on humanity. And therefore, if those things are taking place, man, something in our heart should stir, but I think often what happens is we kind of get this isolated life, which culture, I think, is drawing us to live more and more, this life of isolation, that we hear of stuff like that, and we say, that's too bad. I'm glad I don't live there. Pray blessings on those people. And, and that may be what God calls you to do, and that may not be bad, but, but I would just submit maybe that God would call you to do more, to go to give, to, to I, I don't know. But my, my point is this, that, that where people are rooted in a relationship with God and surrounding themselves with people who are speaking truth in their lives, that we don't get the option, I think, to just say, well, that's a nice story. Because hopefully within gospel community, the gospels hold supreme, people around us matter, and we're seeing all of life as active of worship to a holy God. It, it was fascinating to me, and I, I have nothing really to do with the playing of the songs on a Sunday. Um, but how we kind of work through this week, we went from drawing our hearts to how glorious God is, how holy God is, how it's God and God alone, and then we brought that circle back around to what? Our surrendering. And so often in culture, surrendering is a negative thing. Like if you watch college football at all, uh, you saw some scores yesterday that some teams should just surrender. It's just give, 
I mean, you're, you're getting routed like 55 to 7. Just call it a day, say thank you for the, the butt and go home. But, but the surrendering that God calls us to in that song we just sang, it resonates with us because if we're rooted surrendered his will, his way, his glory, his purposes. It's a difference. Gospel community is a different way of living life. And I believe Titus can actually help us process this out. We're not shooting the silver bullet today. Okay, this is the beginning of a series. We're going to walk through what it looks like eventually to, to kind of practice and live as gospel people in gospel community. And this will shape, I believe, how we look forward to looking at like our community groups here at State Street Church. And that's why they're on pause for right now, um, our, our kind of smaller community groups that gather. To, to, we want to look to re-look at these and reevaluate these to say, are these lined up with what God is calling us to be? Let me give you a quick context before we read just the Titus here this morning. Titus was written by Paul. He's writing to really kind of this mentee Titus. He's trying to encourage Titus, right? Titus was left in a place called Crete. A church was already planted there. Titus was kind of put in charge of it, tend to it, tend to the flock like a shepherd would, right? The sheep. And the church is already experiencing false teachers and wrong teaching. There's a theme to Titus, and I, and I love it. It's actually, there's an unbreakable link between faith and practice, between belief and behavior. This is kind of what Paul is trying to get at to Titus because Titus is being told, right, this false teaching that says, look, believe this, but do this. And he's saying, look, no, 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 no. Faith and practice go hand in hand. Belief and behavior link arms together. In other words, an authentic saving faith in Jesus Christ will always be linked and seen in our lives and how we live. Right, so I'll say again, that's important. Saving, authentic saving faith in Jesus Christ will always be linked and seen in our lives and how we live. And that phraseology for me is very important. You did not hear me say, asking Jesus to come live in your heart will eventually make you a better person. Authentic saving faith, right, which is, I think, biblically defined as professing, right, believing in our heart, Jesus Lord, and professing with our mouth that God will raise him from the dead, right? There's, there's that belief and there's that submission. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He's not just one of those things. We like the idea of Savior. That feels good for us. The idea of Lord, who gets supreme control, kind of kick back on. But I believe that, that faith and life have to integrate themselves. And for the believer to say that these pieces are just held off, these are mine, God. Let me do with what, this what I want. But that's not what it's called to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. This is where Titus 2 approaches from. Sound doctrine is the basis for the life of the believer. It's how we live that flows out of our doctrine. And if we're biblical people, church... Our doctrine does not flow out of your good heart, education, and conscience. Your doctrine flows out of the doctrine of biblical truth. With that in mind, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. This is God's word. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good work. Lord, as we just look for brief moments of this morning into your word, I pray that your spirit would be present, would accomplish great things despite my lack of clarity or ability to communicate. Would your truth be what resonates deep within us? May your holy word be buried down within us, and then may your spirit take that word and do a work in our lives that are ultimately for our good and more supremely, your glory. Amen. For many, when we think about the idea of community, right, gospel community, but just community in general, for many of us, community has so many different thoughts to different people, right? For some, community is, maybe the word they associate with community, is just safe. Community gives me a, a place of safety. It, it's comfort, right? Think about, like, for me in college, right, surrounded by those guys that were kind of, like, you know, my, my closer friends, there's those places, just safety there. Right, from the idiot at two in the morning, right, to, to the one that was hopefully normal. Sometimes it's other parts of my day. Okay, there was just safety. There's people accepted me. There's welcomingness. So for perhaps for some, the idea of community comes to mind safety. Right, but for others, community, the thought that may come to that is just it's location. It's proximity. Right, this is my community that I live in. I live in, in the western end of Portsmouth. Okay, this is my community right here, like out the door, and it just kind of keeps going that way. All right, so for others, community is defined by location and proximity. For some, your community is founded by this in its interest. It's kind of oriented around this commonality. All right, uh, we went, some of us went yesterday to uh, watch Chris play rugby. And I really, it's, man, I'm preaching on it, so my brain was thinking about, but I deserve just community happening. Right? United around what? Just this common thing called rugby that I don't understand at all. Okay, but, but I watched it in its community. Right? And I played athletics my whole life, and I'll be frank with you, most of the time when if I get done and I just lost a game, I'm not interested in hanging out and talking with the opponent. It's not my fun factor of things to do, right? But I watched yesterday. Now, they didn't necessarily intermingle, but no one was ticked off. Right? There, there's a calmness after the game. And it struck me, this for many people, many of them, is just their community. It's where they come to perhaps find safety, to be accepted. For others, it's life or, or stages of life they find themselves in. And that becomes their, their sense of community. Like we all this common thought together. Right? There's just that reality. We have kids. So I feel like other people that have kids get it. They get my struggles. And not that those who are more seasoned in life or more just more vintage, we'll say, right, that have, have kids who have grown up don't struggle with those things or didn't remember struggling with those things. They probably do. But for me, it's just, you're not in it right now. Right? And there's a difference with that for me. See, I think we're hardwired for community. I think that regardless of, of what it is we use to define it or make it, we're designed for it. Like God has, has put this within us, this hardwiring to be with people for relationships 
that, have a, that are true and they're real, they're despite our personality types, it doesn't matter. We're all hardwired, DNA-driven for community. And what I mean by despite your personality type is this. You can say you're introvert or extrovert or some weird blend of those two things. I don't think it matters. I think in both instances, you crave community. You just might crave it at different dosages. See, I, th- I believe God has hardwired us to be with people. Right? So listen, I'll say this again. I believe, I think, that God has hardwired us to be with people since the creation of humanity. And one of the benefits I have to saying the words, I think, is that I have biblical backing to this. This is not just my opinion. I believe the scriptures teach this. Genesis, Genesis 2.18 says this. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then God goes on and creates Eve. Why did God create Eve? Because it wasn't good for him to be alone. See, God recognized a design that he had put within humanity to be with people, to be in relationships. And not just from like a practical perspective, right? Two hands are better than one. Okay, well, Paul's doing, or if uh, Adam's doing a job, Eve, can you pick up that end of the couch? It'd be a lot easier. You know, not just from that practicality, right? But I believe that God has, has from an internal perspective, hardwired us to need people, to be around people. A couple weeks ago, Kim and I just, I think I talked about this last week, maybe, I don't remember, but we just, we went and hiked up in the White Mountains for a day. And uh, there were some guys that were just through packing, they're just on their way going somewhere else, right? And uh, we just talked, we met this one guy, and he was nice, and we just and we kept on our way. Uh, but I know uh, not enough about pack, uh, backpacking, but I know this, that there's a phrase in hiking, especially these through hikers, and some people, they say, have been on the trail too long. But they've just been by themselves a little too long. That's what it means. They've been there too long. I'm kind of like, when you're just alone with your own thoughts, it's just a little too long. It might be good to come down out of the mountain every now and then. And not there's not benefit, guys, in just your own somber thoughts and your own kind of, kind of reclusive moving away from the distractions. I listened to a fascinating podcast this week of a guy who has hiked to three major poles solo. So one is the North Pole, one is the South Pole, and they call it Mount Everest. Like the highest pole you, you can he's on it solo and he talked about his 50-day hike alan you've been there to the south pole 50 days by himself he said man he was hiking and first days one and two were just maddening because he felt like his mind was trying to create such noise because it was so quiet but then after about day three day four he he began to appreciate the silence but this is so interesting. You know what he said? After day 50, it was good to be back with people. See, we're, we're, we're DNA'd. We're hardwired to be around people. Now, unfortunately, since the introduction of sin into our world, we now have a broken bond that brings us together. Like Adam and Eve had this unique unity within their relationship. It was not just Adam and Eve that brought, bonded them together, but it was Adam and Eve and their heavenly father. Living, doing life together. 
This was their major uniting factor. Then sin comes in their lives. The relationship with God is fractured. This ripple effect has been sent out through all humanity, and it's what you and I deal with today. See, God has seen the value of relationships and the value of community, and yet we live in a tension of just a fallen, broken world. And reality is that as our world struggles with sin, that you and I struggle with self-fulfillment, with seeing others as a means to fulfill ourselves, almost as commodities to consume rather than people to invest in. This is all a broken reaction of sin. But when we step back, guys, and we kind of look back at the beginning of it all, when we see the word community, we really see the garden. We see Adam, we see Eve, and we see God the Father. <laughs> One of the most fascinating sentences to me in, in that first creation portion of Scripture is, you know, after sin breaks in, you know, God, it says that God is just walking around the garden in the coolness of the day. And it's just mind-blowing to me. It says, where are you? And they're hiding. They were ashamed because they were naked. It says, who told you you were naked? And that just kind of... Now the verbiage, you know, the verbal vomiting just starts happening. And well, Satan did this, and my wife did this, and look what you did. But before all that, Adam, Eve, God the Father, in community, in unity together, not jacked up and broken by sin. It tells me that that's what God intended for it to be like. That's what it will one day be again, restored in glory. And yet now we, church, live in that already, God's kingdom has come already, but not in its fulfillment. So that already, not yet period of life, that's where we exist. How do we live out the desire and hardwiring for community, yet living in a broken world? To begin to understand, I think, what it means to be a people of God Gathered together for his purpose, we need to first remember or understand what God desires. To understand, I'll say it again, to begin to understand what it means to be a people of God, gathered together for his purposes, to first remember or understand that God desires himself a people. See, Titus 2, 11 to 14, it said this, I'll read it one more time. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what is Paul reminding us here? He's reminding us that God's Grace was seeking to accomplish great things in Christ. God's grace was seeking to accomplish great things in Christ. Things like this, that God was bringing salvation to people. That there was to be training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly uh, passions. He's challenged us and he's he's trying to establish in his body, right, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And to wait for the message the blessed hope, the appearance of Christ. And Paul says, look, in living this way, we're living as God's people. We're living as a group described here in verse 14, if we're doing those things. But yet also, part of the work 
of Christ and his life and death and resurrection was this, redeeming those who have trusted in Christ from their sin and also purifying himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Part of what Paul is trying to communicate here to us through Titus is that part of the result of Christ's death on the cross, yes, there is salvation, but it also was to purify himself a people for his own possession. See, in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, sin was covered for those who trusted him. And in doing so, for those in Christ, God brought himself a people. This is a gospel community. It's a people united in a trust, a confident hope in Christ, with lives changed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is gospel community. See, God's not only hardwired us for community, but then he also then designed us to be in a unique, specific community. One with the followers of Jesus Christ. And look, guys, God has done this all throughout history. Genesis 12, 1 to 3, this may sound familiar, it says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What is this talking about? Anybody know? What this is? It's a major thing in the, New, in the Old Testament. To Abraham, what is it? This is me asking if you're still awake. What? What covenant? Abrahamic covenant. Nice. This is the Abrahamic covenant. This is God saying, I will establish for me a people. He will establish his own possession. That becomes what? Eventually the nation of Israel. So the idea that, that God would call himself to himself a people is not foreign. It's not new. He's been doing it throughout history. God is a sovereign God. He is in control and he knows what he's doing. He called himself a people through Abrahamic covenant. He established that covenant with him and he kept that covenant. The nation of Israel. Later on in the life of Christ, Matthew reminds us that Jesus calls for these fishermen to follow him. And what do they do? They leave their occupation and begin to live life with Christ. Matthew's account is interesting to me. It says, they got out of the boat and left their father to follow Jesus. Well, why would they do that? Because Jesus is calling himself a people. And they said that, look, following Christ is worth leaving my dad right now and leaving my job right now. It's fascinating. See, a gospel community is marked by much more than a common location and even a common worship service. A gospel community is people marked by the call of God on their lives to follow him. And this community goes far beyond a Sunday service. Please hear that very clearly. A gospel community is marked by the call of God on their lives to follow him, and this community goes far beyond a Sunday service. I think when we hear gospel community, 
maybe perhaps in your brain you went down to be synonymous with church. I don't believe that church and gospel community go hand in hand all the time. I think that often there's fracturing there. That, that this, this church, this Sunday morning thing is tradition, it's religion, it's rote, it's routine. Perhaps even without gospel at all, let alone community. So I think there is possible to be a difference there. See, consider for a moment the life of the early church. I'm talking like first century church. We'll, we'll test your Bible knowledge. If I were to ask you what's the best definition of the first century church and how they live their lives, what passage of Scripture would you say? Just start with a book of the Bible. What do you think it would be? Acts. Thank you. Acts what? What chapter? No. I can do that too, Landon. That's, no. It's early on in Acts. No. No. Good guess, Noah. Not one, not three, two. Acts 2, 42 to 47 is a description of the early church. It's what so many look at and say, why don't we go back to that? Why don't we look at what's there and see how to replicate that? Not a bad thing. Please remember, first century and 2008 are very different. But not a bad thing to do. So we see, we look at just the life of the early church. Let's notice some things together, if you know anything about it. What do we know of the atmosphere surrounding Jerusalem in the first century? Well, they were increasingly hostile to Jesus, his teachings, and his ministry. That resulted in his eventual being put on trial, beaten, crucified, and put in a, tr- in a tomb. And though he rose again, what did the masses of people desire to do? Move on. In fact, when the guards came, right, and they said, look, the, the tomb's empty. What were they told? Keep that to yourself. Move on. Forget about this man, Jesus. Forget about his message. Forget about his people. Yet, what do we know? We know that that Christ did rise again. His people were strengthened. His people did grow and mature in their faith. And then the number of their people grew as well as people came to trust the gospel message. But listen. Listen. The culture likely did not change overnight with a quick softening to the message of Christ. See, what we get is a New Testament written by followers of Jesus about what was going on in the early church. Much of the New Testament by who? Who wrote much of the New Testament? Paul. Right, writing letters to churches that he established or were established to encourage them because false teaching is often coming in at play. Right, Titus, the same thing's happening. Look, the early church that was faithfully following Jesus and pursuing the cultural presence and pressures was not going away. They were existing amongst persecution, amongst suffering, but their faith and their commitment to the gospel grew deeper and deeper. In fact, you know that later on, Nero, right, tries to wipe it all out. Constantine tries to make Christianity the national religion. You have this constant flip-flopping back and forth as, as history goes on. So what can we infer then? That as followers of Jesus, their commitment to gospel community was not a commitment out of convenience. 
They're meeting in homes together. Acts 2.42 says they're selling their possessions and giving to those as there was need. And they're, they're, they're eating food. They are going to worship in the temple together. But, but don't think all of a sudden it's roses and lollipops. Right? The high priest did not change his opinion on Jesus despite the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. Please don't think that all of a sudden it became easy to be a follower of Jesus. It didn't. But what we see here is the gospel taking deep root in people's lives and them selling out to the cause of Christ, willing to take on suffering, willing to take on persecution. Right? Read the New Testament. How is Paul treated? He's getting you know, rocks chucked at him kicked out of towns. But he came back to the gospel. He said, it's worth it, it's worth it, worth it, it's worth it. See, as we see all of this recorded in the book of Acts throughout the New Testament, the people of God united around a faith and to commitment to Christ, they lived their lives in community together boldly for the gospel. In a local context, the people of God were united for the sake of building up the body of Christ. Again, the culture not automatically softening to this message, but likely remaining bold against Christ and his teachings. Yet, and this is fascinating, yet God expanded the work and the gospel moved forward. Look, I, I'm, let me give a word of caution here as we might feel like or some might feel like our culture is becoming increasingly resistant to the message of Christ and the gospel and we find ourselves biting our nails and looking to restore the years gone by of 20, 30, 40 years ago when morality seemed like a higher value. I'll submit this. Though we may not crave suffering or persecution, when suffering happens, the gospel tends to move forward at a rapid rate. When suffering happens, the gospel tends to move forward at a faster rate. Watch history and look at history. It happens time and time again. Humanity, human emotion would say, look, if it's uncomfortable, avoid it. That's what humanity would tell us, right? Just our our carnal, carnal being. I get that. That looks hot. Don't touch it. Fire. I get it. That's human kind of speaking in, carnal man. But if you are a follower of Christ, look, not all discomfort is bad. And we're not going to get into how you define it, but, but Scripture does say, look, God disciplines those he loves. Right? That, that he, he presses in. Why? To mold and to shape. Like when I discipline our kids... It's not so that they just kind of go away and I don't have to hear from them anymore. No, because I want my kids to wake up tomorrow and move forward. For the follower of Jesus, the, the gospel is the most precious thing that we possess. And I get why that's hard. 
I have physical family around me. I have physical work, physical things to take care of that I'm charged and tasked with. But the gospel is the most precious thing that we have. And gospel community then can be one of the most precious things that can be in our possession as well. One definition just of the idea of, of a gospel community defines it as this. It's about a shared life, a network of relationships, a genuine community of people, and I would add this, established and rooted in the gospel. I believe that's what gospel community is. It's those who are sharing life together, a network of relationships, a genuine community of people. And a genuine community of people, you know, is one that I can come to and say, even if I'm a pastor, right, please get me off the pedestal you have me on. Let me come back down to humanity, all right? That I can say, look, this week was hard. Like, I wasn't a great dad this week, or I wasn't a great husband this week. Right? A gospel community that, that, that accepts someone into that type of thing, but this, that doesn't leave them there. Well, why not? Because it's genuine, and it's rooted and established in the gospel. And we keep coming back to this. Look, the gospel is not transactional. It's not a one-time deal. You don't say a magical prayer, put the ticket in your pocket, and then when you die, you pull it out to show Jesus. The gospel has saved you from your past sin. It has saved you from the sinful thought you've had in the last hour and a half that you've been in here. And it will save you from the jacked up stuff you're going to do later on, if not tomorrow. And how can I say all that? Because I'm just like you. The gospel has saved us. It is saving us. It will be the only thing that will save us into glory. So therefore, it is the most precious thing that you and I can ever possess. If God has called, if God has continually shown the calling of a people for his purpose and for his glory and for, for the good of others, would he stop doing that now? If all throughout scripture, God is constantly calling people to himself, calling community to himself, he's calling the gospel to himself, right, for his glory, which he's due, for the good of others as well and for his purposes, would he just stop doing that now because some of us are smarter in 2018? The answer is no. And again, I think there's temptation to say, but look, isn't the local church the Sunday morning thing good enough? I'm going to say no. You might ask, isn't the local church a gospel community? My response is maybe. It, it can be. So I believe that gospel community is a people united, not out of tradition, not out of religion, not out of obligation, and not out of habit alone, but out of a commitment and conviction to Christ. I'll break it down this way, and I'll kind of wrap up with this. What do I mean by commitment? First, to Christ. That in all things, the gospel is on our mind. That it is working within our lives and we are constantly evaluating our lives to see what it is that does not line up with being called child of God. And if you're struggling with that, you're like, I, I don't know how, what that means. I would just encourage you, start reading the scriptures. And ask God to reveal himself 
and his character within those scriptures that you're reading and contrast that with you. If all of scripture talks about Jesus, which it does from Genesis through to Revelation, it's all pointing to Christ. We can ask some simple questions. What does this passage say about God? What does this passage tell me about Jesus? And how do those two things now interact with my life? Read a passage, ask those questions. Secondly, commitment to Christ, and secondly, commitment to the gospel. To our own personal growth and understanding of the gospel and its implications within our lives, that it is the power to save. It has the opportunity to shape us today and is committed to the work in our lives in the future. That is the gospel. And then lastly, a conviction. Conviction that the radical love of Christ that was shown on the cross is how we are to be in our lives. That we are to radically love and care for those around us. A gospel community people is a people that's convicted that the gospel is not this golden eternal ticket, but it's the best way to live your life today is with Christ. It's conviction that, that heaven and the glorious eternity with our Heavenly Father is real and ought to be looked forward to. Did you hear what Titus said? That we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's the greatest day. I've said to some of our friends in, in this local church family whose bodies just ache, because you're just breaking down. And this may seem like a weird way to encourage them. One of the ways I try to encourage them is this. Look, the hurt in your body should remind you that one day your body will hurt no more. That actually should draw your heart to future glory. Even our suffering can draw us back to the hope that's found in the gospel. We should be a people that are convicted that hell is real, and the tragic reality of those who have not yet trusted in Christ, that that will be their destiny. And we should be convicted that we are called to live and share the gospel in all ways possible with hearts of compassion. See, gospel community is called out of people of God, living for his glory and his purposes. Living for, before God's glory and for his purposes goes far before my own preferences, before my own likes or dislikes of something. God's work in my life and my call, his call for him to lead me goes way beyond my own preferences. But yet, because I think God is gracious and he uses our talents and our abilities and our skills he's given us and he calls us to use them for his glory. See, I think, it's just a sidebar, I think there's a weird thought process among church culture that says, look, whatever you are, you've got to change it all and follow what Christ calls you to be. That's true if it's sin. You've got to put that aside. Scripture says it's to throw it off, to not let it cling to you. But, but if you've got interests and passions, as long as they're not superseding the place that God has in your, that should have in your life, that's called idolatry, then use those things he's given you passion for. Use them for his glory. Like, like Kim, 
my wife cares way more about stuff than I care about. It's how God's wired her. And my, if I'm being a godly husband, should not be just, just to crush out all those things that she gets passionate about because frankly, I don't care about them. But no, and if I want what's best for her, not because she's my wife, because she's my sister in Christ, I would want to encourage her, how can that passion be used for God's glory? This is gospel community that, that can speak that into each other's lives. See, God has called to himself a people throughout the Old Testament. Titus reminds that, Christ, that in Christ we are called to be a people of his own possession, zealous for good works, a people who are passionately committed to and the conviction of the message of the gospel, and the call to live for God's glory and the good of those around us. See, gospel community is unique. It's not found in a life phase or in a hobby. It's found in Christ and the people of God being radically committed to him and the gospel and lives around them. For me, this is convicting. To ask the question to myself, am I really zealous? Am I zealous for good works, as Titus calls me to, not for my own glory, but for the glory of God? Zealous. Am I committed? Am I committed to pursue the gospel and see the glory and beauty of it above all things and to give Christ the rightful place in my life? And am I convinced the gospel is the message of hope, not just for me? It's not just my own gospel. It's the gospel's message of hope for all who would believe and receive it. And is my life marked by that conviction? This is convicting to me, guys. Because I gotta be honest with you. I gotta answer, I don't know, sometimes, and I hope so. Look, I pray that, that we would consider if our lives look like those lives we read about in the New Testament. Do our lives look like Paul and Titus and Timothy and Peter and many others who were committed to the gospel and committed to the people around them? May we ask the Lord to work in our lives together. This is my prayer. That we together would ask God to work in our lives for the glory of God to be exemplified to an even greater extent for our lives to be continually molded to become more like Christ and for the gospel to be at the center of who we are as a people that gather together. Let's pray. God, as we this morning probably only scratched the surface of what it means to be a people who are unified in the gospel and what a gospel community people might begin to look like God, it, it, it seems really overwhelming. And I think it is overwhelming if we just look at our own lives and try to rely on our own uh, wisdom, gifts, abilities, charisma to establish and do these things. But Father, may we not be so arrogant. When we are in Christ, we have your spirit. Your spirit indwells in us and is constantly shaping us and molding us to become more like Christ. And so, Father, would we simply open our lives to the Spirit's work within us. 
that we would see gospel community as such a good thing to be after. In your name, amen.